just because they're little kids and they just want to do that to you. But we're glad that you're here. Once again, welcome all those viewing online. God bless you. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to Acts chapter number 20? Acts chapter number 20. We're continuing through the book of Acts and we come to Acts chapter number 20 and we meet a man who is now saying goodbye. And I don't know about you, but some people handle goodbyes better than others. It's hard to say goodbye to a family, to a loved one. It's hard to say goodbye to a location. Goodbyes aren't always easy. One person even said, how is there any good in goodbye? This past week, uh, I've said goodbye to family members who they have moved on to Indianapolis. I've said goodbye to a sister who now lives in Arkansas. And so goodbyes can be tough. We're meeting a man now in Acts chapter number 20 who we've been in his life. We've been there as he went to prison. We were there as he was persecuted. I mean, we were there as we studied this passage. We were there as he got stoned. We were there in his losses and his wins. And now we come to kind of the end of the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. And I believe he has something powerful and poignant to share with us. And in light of everything our church has been through this past week that we didn't see coming, but that kind of came down, I just knew this is the perfect passage. And we're not going to spend a long time in this passage, but I think it's so important that we look into this because when it comes to saying goodbye, the Apostle Paul doesn't simply say goodbye. He tells us how to live. He shares some words, some parting wisdom as he's saying goodbye. My daughter was reading a book this week by Elizabeth Yates, and as she was reading it, she's an avid reader. You'll always see Megan with a book at our house, wherever she is. She just has a book. And she'll read literally two or three books a day, like not pages, chapters, whole books. She'll just, just sit there and just read through books. And I was looking at her, she was reading a book, and I saw the title on the back. And here's what the title was on the back of the book. It was this. It does a man no good to be free if he doesn't know how to live. And the Apostle Paul is going to teach us how to live as he says goodbye. Because most Christians won't have to die for God, but most Christians also won't live for God. And the Apostle Paul comes to Acts 20, and he says something powerful, beginning in verse number 17. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church. Remember, we studied the church at Ephesus. This is a church he was at for almost three years. This is a church that the Bible says that from them, all of Asia heard the gospel. So this was a powerful church. This was the church where it was at the Ephesian church where the apostle Paul would wipe sweatbands from his tent making and he'd throw them on the ground. Somebody would grab the sweatband, take it to somebody who was sick and dying, put it on them, and they would be healed. It was in Ephesus where the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out a demon, and the demon talks to the seven sons of Sceva and says, uh, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? I mean, Paul did some of his greatest work in the city of Ephesus. And notice what he says in verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. He's saying, you guys know how I lived. You saw me. 
He said, here's how I lived. He said, I served the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul is saying, I know as I wind down my ministry, I know what's about to happen. I know that this is the end of the road. The beginning of this chapter, it opens with a prophet taking a, a belt from Paul that he would wrap himself in. And the prophet wrapped his arms and says, whoever owns this belt, the same will be bound. But notice Paul's attitude. And if you have a copy of God's word, I hope you would underline this. I hope you would highlight this verse, verse 24. But none of these things move me. None of it moved him. He's saying, I won't be moved by a threat. I won't be moved away from this. God has given me a mission, and the mission is so big, I'm not going to let anything else move me. He said, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Today we live in strange times, and the Apostle Paul lays out how we're supposed to live. And the Apostle Paul sets a powerful example. He says, I preached the whole counsel of God. I didn't, I didn't leave anything out. I didn't sugarcoat it. We, he's basically saying, hey, I preached through the Bible before you guys are preaching through the Bible. The Apostle Paul said, we just went through it. The Apostle Paul also goes back and saying, hey, I held nothing back that was helpful that you needed. I didn't cherry pick. I made sure you got everything that you needed. The Apostle Paul also goes on and he lets us know that the, the church is precious. Why is it precious? Was it because he founded the church at Ephesus? He said, no, that's not why the church is precious. He said the church is precious because God shed his blood. He shed, Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the church. So make no mistake when somebody tells you, oh, it's no big deal that the church can't be open. Why would your church sue the county? Why would your church sue the governor? Because church is a big deal. Because Jesus didn't just die for your soul. He died for the church, the called out assembly, the ecclesia. So this isn't about that we're just standing up for our constitutional rights. No, this is bigger. And anybody who wants to make an argument that, no, 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 the church is no big deal and the church is non-essential, especially when I hear a pastor or a Christian say that, please open up Acts chapter number 20 and say, how can you say the church is non-essential when Jesus shed his blood for it? Don't call it non-essential when Jesus said, I shed my blood for it then you are trampling on the precious blood of Jesus when you say such things. 
So when you hear some celebrity preacher, you hear somebody say that, or when you see the county as they came at us and said, why won't you guys just shut down? All the other churches obey. All the other churches do what we want. Why won't you guys just do what we want? Because Jesus said his blood for this. I've got a son named Cain. Cain is an amazing kid. He was a little bit of a surprise. And uh, when it comes to Cain, he will kind of annoy his siblings every once in a while. And he'll kind of do things that kind of make him upset. But Cain is, I don't know where he got it. He's, he's a big little kid. He, he does not get it from me. I'm trying to figure out whose real dad is one these days. I'm going to find out. He owes me child support, all right? And uh, because it's just bigger you know, and he's healthy, you know, just a big dude. And so uh, nothing phases him. So even if Megan and Austin are like pushing him like kids do or kind of yelling at him like kids do, Cain, just kind of passive aggressive, just sits there. He just sits there. And Megan will be like, Cain's in my room. Get him out of my room. And Cain will just sit there. And I'll come in, Cain, what are you doing? And Cain just won't look. He'll just sit. He won't make eye contact with you. He just looks down at the ground and he doesn't move. Like, you'll see Austin trying to push Cain, and Cain's just sitting down and just, like, sliding barely because Cain's a big kid, but he won't be moved. How many Christians have been moved through COVID? Like, you just let yourself be moved right out of church, right out of Bible reading, right out of prayer, and you had a lot of good valid excuses why. A lot of good reasons why he got just moved out. But here's Paul with this pit bull tenacity who said, I'm not going to be moved. I will face down government threats. I will face down the persecution from priests and the Pharisees. I will suffer it all. And he said, I go bound. And it's this idea that he was tied up, but he was saying, hey, even though I go bound, even if I, even if I wanted to do something else, I, I'm bound to this. I got to go. But he's saying, I'll go anyway. So I love this. In verse 18, we see that Paul didn't hold back. He said, there was, I held back nothing that was helpful from you. He, he, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to save anything. I'm going to make sure I leave it all on the field. He's like talking like an athlete right now. Remember when you used to play sports and your coach would say, hey, after this game, don't, don't, you don't want to have anything left in the tank. Put it all out on the field. The apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm putting it all out there in the Christian life. I'm saving nothing for the next life because the next life is paradise. So I'm putting it all out there. Anybody I can tell about Jesus, I'm going to tell. Anywhere I can preach, I'm going to preach. Anywhere I go, I'm not going to hold anything back. How many of us hold back because we're intimidated I'm so grateful for your testimony that God opened doors for you to talk to your coworkers about Jesus. That you said, I'm not going to hold anything back. You know, the word hold back means to reserve. To reserve. You know how you call up a restaurant, hey, I'd like to reserve a table. Nowadays, when you call up a restaurant, you reserve a table, they want a credit card number. And if you don't show up, they're still billing the card. You see, the Apostle Paul said, hey, I don't want a reserve. And because he had no reserves, there's a correlation that he also had no regrets. Many of us are going to have regrets on the day of judgment. Why? Because we had reserved. What did Jesus say to the parable of the, ten ta- or the, parable of the talents in Matthew 25? One was given five talents, one was given three, one was given one. Who received judgment? The one that had one talent and hid it, didn't do anything with it. He was afraid to do anything with it because he wanted to have some reserves. The other said, no, 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 we're going to invest it. We're going we're to utilize this. What are you doing with that one life that God's given you? 
You have this moment, and some of you are sitting on all this potential. You're sitting on all this reserve, this reserve effort, this reserve energy, this reserve time, this reserve resources. And God is saying, hey, don't hold them back. What are you saving for the next life? We should go with saving nothing for the next life. But not only did he say, hey, I held nothing back. I love verse 22, where he says, hey, but none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my race with joy. Not only when it came to Paul, he wouldn't hold back, he also wouldn't back down. He said, I'm not backing down. Today it seems easy to back down, doesn't it? And today we need more Christians to just say, hey, with some stubborn tenacity, I'm just not going to back down anymore. I'm not going to be quiet about Jesus. I'm not going to be quiet about my faith. I can't back down. You see, we know that the devil is always going to put a roadblock in our way. So why do we act surprised when we see a roadblock? Why do we act surprised when we meet resistance? Why are we surprised? I love what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11. He said, lest Satan should, get, should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we know the devil is going to be a devil. We're not surprised that he's going to try to block us and he's going to try to resist us. The question is, when he puts up a roadblock, will you be blocked by it? Or will you say, no, no, I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to read my Bible. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to seek God. How many Christians were under bad government leaders that still followed God and still influenced government? Joseph, many people wouldn't say Pharaoh was a great guy, but yet Joseph was able to influence Pharaoh. You could talk to Esther. Esther was actually in this weird, bad beauty contest she never wanted to be in, forced in to be queen. And many of us just think that we kind of romanticize that story. It's nothing like what we were taught in the Christian uh, flannel graph boards, but yet she influenced up. You see, Daniel was taken from his home. We see that he was, was taken. He was made a eunuch. And then in that same person, he, instead of getting angry and bitter, he influenced three kings of Babylon. And he was in power. So you and I, we can live in a day and age where we say, you know what, this is difficult, but we can still influence it up. We can still say, you know what, I'm not going to hold anything back. And then lastly, I love this. The Apostle Paul, as he rounds out verses 25 and 32, he tells us, he tells his church at Ephesus, he says to them, don't let up. Don't let up. He says, I go now. And then he specifically says, wolves are going to come among you. And then he says, verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and, all, and also to all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. He's saying, don't let up. No matter what happens, don't let up. It's tempting when things get hard for us to just want to give up, huh? It's tempting for us just to want to walk away. Somebody's wisely asked a question, how do you stop someone who has nothing to lose and everything to gain? The answer is you don't stop that person. And the Apostle Paul was a person that just would not be stopped. But the question is, how many of us will stop? How many of us quit? You see, Paul leaves an example for how we're supposed to live as he rounds out his missionary journey. On Friday, I encourage all of you to pray and to fast and to be a part of a video conference as we our church things are ramping up with a lawsuit against the county and against the governor and uh, honey can you do me a paper there's some papers right there can you hand those to me please 
and many of you watched as we had a press conference on Friday. And I just thought how ironic that I'm studying these passages of scriptures, that none of these things move me, now that I count on my life dear unto myself, that the counting finally is like, no, we're going to ramp up. And so we're not afraid, we're not intimidated, we're not angry. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Because the county thought, oh, we'll just threaten them with fines and jail time, and they'll capitulate. And then when Pastor Mike and our lawyer met together, and we both kind of agreed that, no, we're willing to go to jail. All of a sudden, the lawyers are like, oh, man, we got to rethink our strategy. These guys actually don't mind going to jail. Because that's when people used to get into ministry, that's how it used to be. As a matter of fact, in the 1700s, when you said, I'm called to the mission field, do you know you would pack all of your belongings in? You would pack them in your own coffin. They were called one-way missionaries. They knew there was only a one-way trip. They knew they weren't coming back, and the only way they came back was going to be in that box. There was such a missionary, and he went to the Hebrides, and this missionary went to the Hebrides, and they said when he came, there was no light. There was no Christian. They wrote on his tombstone when he died that there were no heathens. When he got there, there was no Christians, but they said when he died and he was gone, that there were now no longer any heathens. They said he evangelized everybody there. But Christians, we've forgotten our heritage. And we let things like court orders and lawsuits intimidate us and scare us. We're not afraid. And so I want to share with you and continue to ask you to pray because tomorrow it's supposed to go to court. And I want you to know of two things. If you didn't see it, I want you to know of two things. First of all, I would like for you to read our lawsuit against the county, against the governor. And I want you to know where our heart is. And I want you to read this because many of you have been filled with so much misinformation. We had a virologist from Stanford University do a study on Santa Clara County. Because we want to know how many suicides are happening in Santa Clara County. Santa Clara County refuses to give those numbers, and they've been ordered to not give up those numbers. Why? That should be public knowledge. Our Stanford virologist, and I want you to have this because many of you are saying, oh, man, we got to really be afraid of this COVID-19. And I'm not here to say, no, it's not real. I'm just telling you, as Christians, we're living in fear. And our Stanford virologist said on statistics on Santa Clara County, now that we have eight months of data, he said if you're the ages between zero and 20, there is a 100% survivability rate, 100%. But yet we got to close down the schools. Although many of you saw the article that our governor put his kids in private schools this week. It's interesting. And I want you to see all the stats and statistics that our church is facing. And I want you just to pray. This is nothing where we get angry. I want you to pray, but I also want to make sure you vote. I know sometimes we feel like, well, we're here in California. What does it matter? Absolutely. There are people on the ballot this, this, this season, they're running unopposed. Like there's nobody to challenge them. You don't like who's on the school board, who's on the board of supervisors, who's on all these local things? Well, maybe it's time Christians did get back in that space. For too long, we focused on the market space. I thought we're supposed to go unto every creature and preach the gospel everywhere. And so I'm going to encourage you to grab these two things. We have to close tonight. They need their, the room in about 25 minutes. We're going to close with a word of prayer. But on your way out, I'd like for you to grab these two lawsuits. I'd like you to grab ours. I'd like you to be praying. And then also, I just want you to have for your information, here's another lawsuit. Uh, the governor's own legislators are now suing him. His own legislators are now suing him because he has 52 
mandates that he's just, executive just passed down. Many of you saw the ones for Thanksgiving. Uh, Brother DJ Curtis just told me that you can have 30 people at a funeral. So he said, you're invited to his house. They're having a funeral for his turkey. So he can have 30 people over there to uh, have the funeral for a turkey. Because you can have 30. You can have 30. But folks, it's time that we just say, you know what? As a Christian, we, we do have a responsibility. And many people say, well, we need to vote our values. No, we vote God's values. God's values, God's values. We don't vote ours, we vote God's. And I know a lot of Christians are like, well, when it comes to politics, I don't know. No, the church has left a vacuum there and we can make a difference. We should make a difference. So I'm gonna close in prayer and I thank you for coming to a unique but special service. I see several guests, I wanna welcome you. Uh, we apologize that there's a time change, but yet I really enjoyed this service. The testimonies were really the key crux of it, but I wanted to make sure we got into God's word just for a few minutes. But we're gonna close, we're gonna be dismissed, and then I'm gonna invite you, if you're able to, if you're a part of Southridge Church, you're able to help us tear down. They need this room, they're doing a worship night. And like I said, we found out on Wednesday uh, that they were doing it, and so we didn't have a lot of time, and we didn't wanna just bounce around locations. So we appreciate you coming early, and so many friends and guests. Next week, we'll be back at the same time. But if you're able to help us tear down the stage and pack things up, that'd be great. But we're going to close in a word of prayer. Pray for tomorrow. And then if you are a first-time guest, we'd love for you to fill out a connection card. Stop by our guest center. We got a gift for you. And then also, I want to thank you for your generosity and your continuing to uh, give and tithe. That makes a big difference. I believe that God is going to do some great things in not, not even next year. I just see things happening. I'm so excited about, and we'll be telling you more in the days to come. But let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close out our service tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much that there are Christians who have that spirit of the Apostle Paul, who know how to live, who said, neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Help us, Father. We love you. We pray that you would move in our midst. We pray that you would do special, supernatural things. We know that the best is yet to come. We know that no matter what happens tomorrow, it's going to be fine. You're going to get all the glory. You're going to get all the honor. We're not here to make enemies. We're here to spread the light of the gospel. And so, Father, if that means we're going to spread that light in jail, then we're going to spread it in jail. If we're going to spread it by winning a court case, then we're going to win a court case. Whatever gets you the most glory, Father, may you be honored. We love you. We pray your blessing on the service. We ask your, your blessing on all those who have attended. Father, cover them with your hedge of protection. Keep them safe. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. On your way out, there's a table. You can stop by and grab these. God bless you. Say hello to somebody as you're dismissed. Have a great evening. God bless you. We'll see you back next week. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.